0: Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolias First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form, and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281 343 3033. Well, good morning. You know, I was thinking about that story about I Sound Good on Radio and I was told I had a face that was made for radio, but I'm not sure where I'll, you know, take that. Well, we have been going through a series called This I Know: Certainty in an Uncertain World and we have been talking about the great truths of scripture that are found that we call doctrine, and we are talking today about the church. Now, I love today because we have a bunch of kids in the room, okay, and that gives some of you the chance to color with crayons that normally have to do it with something else, but I just want you to know that if your kid gets a little bit uh, nervous or or whatever uh, and they start making a little bit of noise, you're not going to bother me, so, I don't want you worrying about that because it's critical for us to remember that we are a church for the generations, and that means everybody, and so we're grateful to have the, uh, uh, everybody in the service today, but we're talking about the church. What does the Bible say to us about the church? And so I would like to ask you to do something with me because I think there's probably, if I were to go out into this audience with a microphone and I said, tell me what the church is to you, that there would probably be a lot of different answers. But I'm going to ask you to do this. If you could only choose one word to describe a church, one word. Do you have it? Okay, I'm going to try something. This could be dangerous, but I'm going to try it. Somebody from this section, give me one word. Okay, another word from this section. Family, Family. okay, another word. Okay, thank you. Okay, somebody from the balcony. Yes, sir. Good job, thank you. What I want you to hear is that all of us have different thoughts about the church. And they're all, everyone I heard was a good, solid thought. I'm for that. But wouldn't it be good if we could stop for just a moment and ask the simple question? What does God say about the church? What did Jesus say about the church? And I want to tell you, I was a little bit nervous as I came into this message because, frankly, I'm about to talk about the bride of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, you can say anything about me you want to, but you start talking about my wife, and my back starts getting up. And so I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, Lord, I really hope that what I have to share will be what you want them to hear, not just what I think they ought to know. And so we're going to turn to the Scripture, to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 and following, asking this question about the church. Now, I want you to think about, There's a lot of different descriptions of the church. The Bride of Christ is one. In Ephesians 2, we're going to hear some others. It says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we talk about the church, we are mindful that your word tells us, Jesus, that you died for the church that you love the church, and the church is your bride, is your family, is your body on this earth. So, Father, reveal to us what your word has to say. In Jesus, your holy name, amen. So we're going to begin by asking a couple of questions. The first is this, what's the foundation of the church? What does the Bible tell us about the foundation of the church? Jesus was walking out one day and the temple leaders came to him and they began to ask him this question, by what authority... Do you do the things you are doing? By what authority are you teaching what you're teaching? And Jesus spoke to them and said in Matthew 21, Have you never read the Scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And Jesus quotes to them from Psalms 118, verse 22, and says, this is what's going on. And he used a word picture that they would have fully have understood when he said, There's a cornerstone. A cornerstone. That you've rejected. And they would immediately have been able to just turn around and look. And they could have seen the cornerstones on the buildings of the temple. Now, today, many times, cornerstones for us are almost a decorative feature that very often we might take them and we fill them with things. And they are put into a building. Maybe there's an inscription on it. But for Jesus, during the time that he walked this earth, they were critical in the construction of any building. Because before a building was ever built, a quarry would go and in that quarry master, they would take a stone and they would fit it to the size that was described to them. And when they got it true and square, when all the angles were correct, they would then call out that master builder and the master builder would come out and look at the stone and they would look at the stone and they would take tools to see if the 90 degree angles were correct and whether or not it was true and plumb because that cornerstone would be the first stone that was set in that building. It would be the stone by which every other stone would find its bearing. It would be the stone that would determine the direction of that building. It would be the stone by which every other stone would be measured and looked at. And it was critical that it would be perfect. By the way, we still do that today. You may not have had a cornerstone that showed up and they built your apartment or built your house, but I will promise you what will happen is they put up batter boards and they pulled string and they created that angle and they looked for the place of plumb or they took a transit with a laser because we are still building just like we've always built in this sense. It's no fun to live in a house where the doors don't shut. If you walk in a house and you look and you can see the leaning of a wall, it's just not that comforting. And so we want things built straight and true. And Jesus looked at them and he said this. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And it is marvelous in our eyes. He said, you have watched me. You have heard the teaching." You have seen the miracles and you have said, I am not the right one. I'm not the Messiah you want, I'm not the Messiah you expect but what you have rejected is the one that God has selected. I'm the cornerstone. And I want you to know that today a church does not get to have the impact for eternity unless it builds itself clearly on the foundation and the truth of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that may be in variety in a church, but the one thing that cannot be is this. Jesus Christ, born perfect in work, gave his life on the cross, died for our sins, was buried and resurrected on the third day. That gospel is the cornerstone of why we exist, period and who we are as God's people. And we need to remember that unless we build ourselves on that foundation, there is no promise from God of eternal existence. I had a couple of pastors a few weeks ago going with me in Maine, and we were driving through Boston on the way. i always like to take them by the Old North Church and take them by the Bunker Hill Monument, and we passed a church That's now a Dollar Tree. It's in an area full of people. And every time I go by that, that building, all I can think of is God, there was a day where the gospel was shared. And now, all they can get is a discounted card. A church. Has to be built upon the truth of who Jesus is. And you know, we still make that choice today. We can choose whether or not this church is built upon the truth of who Christ is, the truth of what God teaches, because if we're not careful, there's always this pull where culture says, why don't you just build yourself on what we think? And some churches chase that cultural. Sometimes they'll chase social justice. They'll chase a particular political view instead of staying true to the gospel. And I want you to know that anytime a church steps down from the gospel, it's stepping down, not stepping up. And God wants us to stay true. We are not a social group or a club. We are the redeemed of the Lord. You are a child of God through Jesus Christ and you are part of a family of faith by embracing him as Lord and Savior. We have to be true to what the gospel is. In Ephesians two twenty, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being that cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. And that means that a church has to, has to always be committed to sound teaching. It has to be committed to knowing God's word and, and understanding God's word and growing in God's word. Paul writing to a young pastor one that he loves so much. Timothy said this in 2 Timothy 2. Remind them of the church. He says, remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words which do no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. He said, Timothy, you be faithful in the way that you handle God's Word, but you be careful to stay away from words and discussions that only lead to divisions. If we're not careful, we can get so focused on things that truly don't matter, they'll obscure those things which truly do matter. In Romans 14, 1, it says, "'Accept other believers who are weak in faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables.'" So don't get lost in the diet discussion of what is holy, what is not holy. And then what about when you worship? He said in verse 5, in the same way, some of you think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable because what can happen is, is we start getting our preferences confused with principles. I work with a lot of churches just the nature of the work that I do. And once in a while, I'll have somebody come up to me and a discussion like this will happen. They'll say, I want to ask you if you think this is correct. I want to tell you, every time I hear that, I know what they're about to tell me they don't think is correct. And they said, do you think it's okay that our church has a Saturday night worship service? I said, well, tell me what that means to you. Well, you know, I think the Lord's day is Sunday and that all church ought to just be on Sunday. And our church now has a Saturday service. And how can that be okay? And I looked at him, I said something like this. Brother, let me give you a good word. God would be just fine if you worshiped him every day. Matter of fact, he'd like for you to worship corporately he'd like for you to worship individually, and every time you want to get together with other people, the Bible says for two or three gathered in my name i 'm amongst them. you can worship every single day i 'm for you matter of fact, if you want to have a service at two o'clock in the morning on Friday, you're on your own but <laughs> you can go the thing is is that if we're not careful sometimes we obscure what matters by trivialities instead of staying focused on what the Bible says is true the scripture has to be the test of integrity for everything that we do inside church. Having been a carpenter growing up, one of the things that I'm always attracted to when I go into a major city is whenever I see a building that's being built, and I'm not so impressed with the structure. That's fine. I'll tell you what my favorite part is, is watching them build the foundation. And I really appreciate the people that have the skill set to build that foundation, to build it correctly, because it makes all the difference in the world. And matter of fact, you may not know this, but when they're building a high rise or any major building, that after they pour that foundation, is they do a sample set, they do a core sample on that foundation, and they test it for strength to determine whether or not the concrete will be acceptable for the foundation that's being poured, because the very nature of the foundation is is that if the foundation isn't right, the building will not be true. In Second Timothy 3:16. Paul gives an instruction to Timothy about what the core test is. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Everything we do in a church, what we teach in a church, how we treat each other in a church, has to line up with the truth of God's Word. The foundation is important. It determines a building's shape. It determines a building's, what it can withstand in the weight. It determines a building's height. Matter of fact, there's one uh, building that has its fame due to the fact that it is actually got a bad foundation. Matter of fact, people travel all over the world to go see this. It's called the Tower of Pisa. It was built, completed around in 1372 as a bell tower. They only built three of the eight sections they meant to build, which saved it from toppling. But what they found out is after they completed just three sections, that after about six years, it began to lean. And what they figured out was that the foundation itself was not wide enough. It was less than uh, 15 feet deep. It was not deep enough. And also, the clay bed that it sits on was not stable enough. And so they began to do calculations in the last century. And so in 1995, a group of scientists and engineers came together and they figured out a solution. And they put 600 tons of counterweight underneath the ground to hold it in place. They could have corrected it, but they left the lane because the locals said if you ever straighten this out, the people will quit coming. But it's a perfect example of what happens when what we build is too big for the foundation that we built upon. I want you to know, you can never build too big on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He can withstand the winds of change. He is able to sustain and he will build his church and bring it to glory. But if you build on anything else, It will not last. The only foundation that Jesus expects us to build on is the foundation of who he is. Jesus was talking to the disciples and he said, who do people say that I am? And in Matthew 16... Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That confession, you are the Christ, the Holy One of God, that is the foundation, that is the truth for all that we are and do as a church. That is our foundation. But what about our function? What is it we're here to be about? Well, uh, the best place to start I can think of would be some of the final words of Jesus to his disciples. He said this in Matthew 28 about our mission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go ther- therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the Of the age. And he would say to us that what he said to them, he's still saying to us that it's not about just the life I'm living or where I'm at. It's about the people God has put around me that I am called to share my faith with and live my faith in front of. And that we are to be on mission with the Lord, and that in that there's the conversation that brings people to faith in Christ, and there is the opportunity for them to grow in Christ and be discipled as a believer of Jesus Christ. I thought about that this morning as I was reading through the Psalms, I was at the end at Psalms 145.4, and I read this verse, one generation shall commend your works to another. And I thought immediately of the mission statement of this church, that we exist to engage every generation to be Christ followers. And I will tell you that we want every generation regardless of age, whether you are a 9 month old baby that is in the nursery right now or a 90 year old that is trying to find your seat still I want you to hear that we expect that whether you're in the nursery wherever you are, that you get the good news of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you that that child may be nine months old, but you can pray for them and you can love them and you can tell them out loud that Jesus loves them. I don't know at what age a child begins to fully understand, but I do know this, it's never too early to let a child know that God loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life. The church's function is is settled inside its mission, but also we're called to a focus. If you'll remember in the book of Acts chapter 2, when the very first church was formed, that after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell and thousands of people came to Christ, the Bible says this about them in Acts 2 Forty-two, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and dis- distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so, as a church family, as we look at this passage and others, we can see there a a model for what God wants to do in our church family, a template, if you will, by which we can look and we can see the elements that need to be part of us. And you know, if you were to go and research this, you would see some people say there's only one purpose for the church, some would say there's three, some would say five, some would say twelve. I'm just going to give you five core things you can hold on to. One of the chief purposes of a church is to worship. We are here to worship God, and we want to worship him collectively and individually. And we want to teach you how you can worship God every single day. Day, so that you can know him and grow in him and so that you can be a true Christ follower. We are here to fellowship with each other and that we need each other to love and encourage one another. The Bible says, as iron sharpeneth iron, so a person is shaped by their friends. You become like the people you hang out with. I don't know if you've got to move to another aisle or not, But I want you to hear that either we are influencing people toward Christ or from Christ. And we are shaped by the fellowship that we keep. We are also called to be disciples, to be growing in Christ and moving forward in our walk with Jesus. And we want, as a church family, to help you be able to do that. We are called to ministry, and we are called to be able to use the gifts that God has given us, and for you to be able to take those and implement those in a way that you are fulfilled, but also God is glorified. And I will tell you that God does not want you sitting on the sidelines. When I was listening about Vacation Bible School, my heart just kept pounding because I kept thinking, how many people would miss the blessing of helping children know Jesus? I will tell you, take off a day spend some time with these kids, invest in them. And you might say, I'm not really much of a kid person. Well, we'll give you a little reflective vest or something to let you do traffic. Or, you know, we can find a role for you. What I want you to hear is, is that we are responsible for this generation, one generation proclaiming to the next generation the glory of God. How do we operate? Well, The Bible says in Ephesians 1.22 that God put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Also in Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and the members of the household of God. The church is a body. The church is a bride. The church is a family. There's all kinds of word pictures, but here's one thing that you just grab hold on. The church, when it speaks of the church, is never speaking of just you. Because God has not called us to walk by ourselves. He has called us to walk together in fellowship. So there's some things to remember. First, remember this, the church is an organism, not an organization. Now, I know we have structure. I know that we have things. But listen, first and foremost, we're going to get in trouble if we focus on rules instead of relationships. Now, I think rules are helpful. They, They do help you. I'm grateful that when I leave this parking lot, most of you stay on your side of the road. I like that rule. But more than once, I'm called into business meeting in a church. By the way, I never get a phone call like this. Hey, brother, we're going to have a fantastic business meeting. We're voting to pay off our debt. Would you like to come and moderate that? I don't get that business meeting. I get the business meeting where churches are upset with each other. And so whenever I go into one of those business meetings, I'm always struck by the fact that there's people that that, want to get focused on the rules. Let me tell you about rules. Let me just give you this thought. Rules or organizational structure in a church is like your skeletal system. It's necessary to keep you upright and to help you move forward, but when we see it, we need to take you to the hospital. Think about it. If my bone is sticking out of my flesh, y'all might say, "It's time to go to the invitation." We need structure. But we are called into relationship. And so usually I'll walk in, I'll say something like this. Listen, I know that in this church that we have some rules that we operate in and business meetings. I know that we have structures that we're going to honor. But let me just say this right up front so that there's no confusion. In this meeting, we're going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. In this meeting, we are going to be kind to one another. In this meeting, we're going to love each other. In this meeting, we may have a disagreement. We will never do it in a disagreeable way. And in this meeting, we're going to operate in such a way that if somebody was sitting there, when this meeting's over, they would come to me and say, how can I meet the Jesus these people have? I had a guy come up to me after one of those meetings. He said, you know, you took all the fun out of this meeting. I said, well, your definition of fun isn't God's. Because I don't know about you, but I've been on car trips with kids that weren't happy. It's not near as fun as they might think. God has called us to be careful with each other, to be gentle with each other, to be loving with each other, and to be mindful of one another. We do need structure, but structure is for the purpose of enhancing a church, not hindering a church. I love what Adrian Rogers said years ago. He said, listen, A healthy church is staff-led, deacon-served, committee- or team-operated, congregationally approved. We understand and trust one another to get the work of God done. People in a church are called to minister and you have ministers in this church that have titles and their main purpose is to equip you for the works of ministry, for you to achieve the things that God has called you to do. And because it's relational, we prioritize harmony and unity, not to avoid things. Not to not deal with things, but rather to make sure that as we deal with things, we do it in such a way that it brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the uh, man that was on a desert island for a number of years, a ship came up, finally saw his little flare fire, and they came over and they delivered him over and they, they started to talk to him and they figured out the date that he'd been on there and he'd been on that island for 20 years. The captain was talking to him. And he said, well, what's that hut? He because he saw three huts. He said, well, that's the hut that I lived in. He said, well, what's that hut? He said, well, that's the hut I go to church in. He goes, well, what's that hut? He said, that's where I used to go to church. God has called us to walk together in harmony and in unity. And we need that. And that's the reason why a church has the foundation of Christ and its focus has to stay true. But also, we can never forget this. We are the family of God. We are God's family. So who makes up a local church? In Ephesians 2, it says, in him, you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together, there I am with you. The family of God is those that have made a commitment to know Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And in this church family, They are part of the universal church because they've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. In this church family, we ask you to take that step of obedience of being baptized by immersion as a confession of your faith. Matter of fact, next week we're going to talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I just want you to know that that's an important step. The church is made up of those who have made the commitment to say yes to Jesus. And you know, because of the diversity of background and because of the ways that that things are done today, I will tell you that it becomes kind of important for a church to have a healthy new members class. You see, there was a time, and some of you look like you may be old enough that you can remember or you grew up in the town that I'm about to describe where you did something wrong at school or even on the playground, and before you got home, a parent had been called. I mean, you, you, it was like, you know, a, a parental Holy Spirit followed you wherever you went. And somebody was ready to give you that. But we live in a diverse setting now, don't we? We have people from all over. And we have to be mindful that not everybody comes from the same context or the same background. Matter of fact, if you were to walk into my office, look over your left shoulder, you would see a cover of Time magazine that I have framed. And it's called the United States of Texas. Because it showed, that article showed how all these states have been moving to Texas. And did you notice that? I mean, there's a lot of people from everywhere. And I say, praise the Lord, we're glad to have them. But the reality is, is that when you say something, they may not hear the same thing you hear. And so a new members class helps make sure that we get everything in the same place and we all understand the same thing. And I appreciated the staff because they were excited about it. They wanted to do that for quite a while, and, and they were uh, wanted to be part of that. But I'm also mindful of something. I'm mindful that whenever I talk about a family and talk about a church family, I'm mindful that for some of you, family is not necessarily the safest word that somebody can use. I'm aware that for some people, family is something they hope for, but not something they experienced growing up. And I want you to hear, I am sorry. I'm sorry for the hurt you felt. I'm sorry for the isolation you experienced. I'm sorry for the disappointments that have been part of your life. I'm sorry for that. But Jesus will not fail you. And this is a church family that you can trust. And I know for some of you, maybe you've been in a church situation, you were hurt, and you're like, every church will hurt you. And, and, I, and I understand that, that, that feeling. But I want you to hear that give this church an opportunity to love on you. Now, if you are looking for a perfect church, you haven't found it. Matter of fact, if you joined this church, you just ruined it if we were. But if you were looking for a church where people are being perfected in Christ, where people are growing and taking their next steps with Jesus, that will love you and encourage you, you found the right spot. Because you see, I'm reminded of what Harper Lee wrote in To Kill a Mockingbird, and I'm going to quote it exactly. You can choose your friends, but you show can't choose your family. And all of us, I'm guessing all of us might have a member or two in our family that we would look at and say, how did you get in? (laughs) And in some of our families, we're the one they're talking about. (laughs) But in a church, we are here to walk together. See, It says in Ephesians 2 22, In him, you also are being built together and dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And you know something? As as a, a part of a church family, you have every right that you should be able to expect that in a church that you are going to experience love, that people are going to love you. You have the right to say, I expect to be accepted by my church family. I expect for them to accept me like I am. But but let me just mention something. There's a difference between acceptance and agreement. I had about three ministers with me, I guess, on Tuesday. I met them for a luncheon in Houston. I was treating them to ice cream after the luncheon. And you know something? Some of them did not choose the flavor I chose. Now, I didn't look at them and say, what's wrong with you? I was just glad they were enjoying the ice cream. If we have to be in full agreement for you to sense acceptance, we have misunderstood what acceptance is about. And in God's family, acceptance is, I see you as the image of God, his creation, and I love you. But if there's a lifestyle choice that you're struggling with that's keeping you from his best, I accept you, but I don't have to agree with that choice But I do have to love you well and help you move forward as you want to move forward in Christ. You should accept or rather expect to be encouraged, to be comforted. I I know that there's a lot of times that people come into church and they're smiling and you ask how they're doing. They're saying, oh, I'm fine. It's good. It's all fine. I'm fine. And yet in their heart, they're cratering. And this has to be a place where I can share, like Second Corinthians 1 says, that we are comforted, so we in turn can comfort those that are struggling. But you should always know that in this place you can experience the forgiveness of God. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 35? By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. They will know you are Christians by the love you have for each other. And you know, I'm I'm just mindful of this today, that as we talk about the church, that for some of you, you haven't even taken that first step. That first step of embracing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that he can come into your heart, flood you with the love of God, and enter into the family of God. And that's really, that's always the first step but some of us we're here and and we have we have not even taken the step of following the Lord in obedience and baptism or we haven't taken that step of moving toward church membership because after all what's the big deal i mean Shouldn't, I, shouldn't it just be okay if I come? But let me tell you something. When you become part of a church family, you commit to membership, it very practically starts doing things. It lets us know who we can count on. It lets us know who has made a commitment. It lets us know who we can run through training opportunities so they can work with children and in other areas because we take all that very seriously. But here's the most important. It's a step of obedience in your movement and discipleship. And that's why we invite you to become part of this church family. One more thing. Some of you are here today and you are hurting. And in just a few moments when the deacons come forward, with their families, as staff is available in the balcony and here at the below, you have some things that you either need to pray about or maybe it's just there's somebody beside you or just two, two rows over and you need to go to them and say, will you pray with me? This is what I'm struggling with. The enemy has just been blowing me up. I need help. Will you pray for me? And you know something? It's not that that's going to be the first step to the final solution, but it, or rather it is, but what I want you to hear is, is that by saying some things out loud, we take the power away from the enemy because he loves to keep you in darkness. And he's calling you to the light. So whatever God has spoken to you, don't walk out of here, burnt. Walk out of here knowing a brother or sister prayed with me today. And I know what it is to be loved by my church family. Let's stand now. Let's sing. Let's say yes.